They laid him 
just a few minutes and I don't know what it is but I, I just want us to take some time to maybe go to somebody in the room and just pray with them for just a, just a couple minutes here if you'll just seek somebody either next to you or across the way just 
Whoever God lays on your heart right now, just go to that person and pray for them. And let them pray for you just real quick as part of our greeting. But I want us to pray as they continue to play. There's just needs in the room right now. There's people that have some heaviness right now. So just find somebody to pray with and just pour some Jesus into them right now. Let's take a moment to do that this morning. How many of you are glad to be in the house of the Lord today? I told you last week we'd be back every Sunday. (laughs) So hopefully, uh, if you were new last week, you were back here today. And so thankful to have you with us serving the Lord. And some of you may be wondering... Why we have some different things on the stage right now, and what's Rick going to do with it? I'm not telling. (laughs) But what a great Sunday we had last week, and uh, a lot of new faces that were here. Um, Just a powerful move of God's Spirit and salvations last week in the altar, and got them on the road to discipleship now and pouring into them to give them a great foundation to stand on and continue to grow in their faith. And again, if you weren't aware, we have a discipleship training thing now called the First Mile at Orchardville Church. And we've got about 40 people on a list that are agreeing to be mentors and disciple people here in the church when they come to the Lord. So that's awesome as well. Amen. Amen. Rescue Team, that's our title of this new series that we're starting this morning. So that maybe answers a little bit. I'm not sure I needed the life jackets, but they add a little bit to it. So we put those up here too. This thing is going to come in handy. Heads up. (laughs) Heads up. I want to talk a little bit um, about a, a true story, about a book. It's also been made into a movie. Uh, It was the greatest small boat rescue ever in the history of the United States Coast Guard. And the book is called The Finest Hours, the true story of the U.S. Coast Guard's most daring sea rescue. And I think there might have been one or two movies. The latest one was in 2016. But I want to lay a little bit of a foundation with that this morning as we get into the series for the next four Sundays and talk about this. Again, rescue team. And our first week here is will you answer the call? Don't say yes right away. You don't know what the call is. <laughs> okay? But it happened on this true story. It happened on the night of February 18th, 1952. And again, I want to read some stuff from the book. Uh, and I know that's a bit different, but I want to correlate it to our rescue team here at Orchardville Church. All right? On that night of nights, a, a ferocious northeastern s- snowstorm came roaring into Cape Cod. And Cape Cod was dangerous enough on its own. If you've read anything about it, It's got its own issues, let alone a storm coming in. In fact, sailors referred to the area as the graveyard of the Atlantic, and for good reason. The sunken skeletons of more than 3,000 shipwrecks were scattered across the ocean floor around Cape Cod. The waters there, particularly around the Chatham Bar, were tumultuous enough to destroy a ship on a good day, much less in a violent storm. The bar is a collection of ever-shifting shoals with flood currents carrying ocean waves that can splinter small boats in a matter of seconds. 
formed in the deep ocean, the swells eventually surge towards the bar, gaining strength, speed, and size as they roll into shallow waters where they curl into fearsome breakers. And these are the conditions in good weather. All right? Good weather, this happens. Ships have, have been tossed end over end on calm, sunny days on the Chatham Bar, and now the danger has been amplified tenfold. The storm generated hurricane force winds and waves up to 60 foot tall. How many know how tall 60 foot is? Six stories, right? That tall, that violent. More violent than anyone had anticipated. Ships and merchant vessels that were unlucky enough to get caught in the grip of the storm found themselves in a dire situation. But none had it as bad as a pair of oil tankers that were not traveling together but were in the same vicinity as one another when the storm hit. Have anybody seen the movie or read the book on this? A few people out here. The first tanker, the Fort Mercer, broke in half under the assault of the heavy seas. But as they were breaking up, they managed to send out a distress call to a nearby Coast Guard station. The second ship was not as lucky. The Pendleton broke in two so fast that there was no time to send a mayday. Thirty-three men were left clinging to the stern section of the Pendleton, drifting helplessly on the ocean and being tossed about by mountainous waves. When the mayday from the Mercer hit the Coast Guard station, they rallied the rescue ships and quickly dispatched the very best they had to race off into the storm and come to the assistance of the devastated ship and her desperate crew. Multiple ships were dispatched, manned by the best crews the Coast Guard had to offer. However... And all this is going to lay a foundation for us, okay? Bear with me. Nobody had any idea that there were two broken vessels caught in the storm instead of just one. That fact would be discovered when an airplane that was sent out to assist in the recovery efforts made the startling discovery. Before he reached the area of the ocean where the Mercer was known to be, the pilot of that plane observed a half a ship being tossed on the waves and emblazoned on its hull was the name the Pendleton, not the Mercer as expected. He frantically passed the word. Everybody was in shock. It was crazy enough to have one ship broken in half by the storm, but now there were two. And as the Coast Guard came to grips with this terrible situation, the commander found himself out of options because everybody had went out to the Mercer. The best had already been dispatched, so he turned to a young, inexperienced boatswain's mate named Bernie Weber. And Weber, he says, pick yourself a crew. You've got to take the 36500 out over the bar and assist that ship. Weber later said that he felt his heart drop to his feet. He could picture himself taking the tiny wooden 36-foot rescue boat over the hazardous Chatham Bar into the teeth of a snowstorm that was generating 60-foot seas. It was a mariner's worst nightmare. And the images of that faithful day were forever burned into Bernie's memory, and he would later say that when he received the orders, he immediately thought of the Coast Guard's official motto, Semper Paratus, which in Latin is, uh, means always ready. However, he said he also remembered the unofficial Coast Guard model, which simply said, you have to go out, but you do not have to come back. And nevertheless, he accepted the mission without hesitation. Turning to the crew room, he asked for volunteers. There were no trained boat crews left, all those men who were already involved in the rescue attempt at the Mercer. So from the ranks of the unqualified, among those who had already been passed over for the three previous rescue missions that had launched earlier in the night, Weber assembled a ragtag crew to sail into the teeth of the fiercest storm of their lives. In the blinding snow of a freezing winter's night storm with waves that stood twice as tall as their boat was long, against all odds they answered the call. Simple, reasonable, sensible sailors would have determined that it was pointless to throw their lives away in what was sure to be a futile rescue effort. 
But rescue is a word that erases common sense, abolishes reason, wipes out calculation, leaves nothing but courage and a refusal to quit. That courage drove them into the storm to make the most incredible rescue of the U.S. Coast Guard's long and storied history. Now, I wanted to lay all that out there as we talk about the rescue team here at OC. And this rescue team series is going to follow the path of this rescue mission in this book over the course of the next four weeks. And there's a lot of different ways you can look at this and bring this into scripture and bring it into our lives and spiritually. But as, a, as I begin to put this together and look at this, it's, it kept coming back to the rescue team, rescue team, rescue team, rescue team. We're called to reach the world and save the lost. We're called to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus before it is too late for people. Right? We're called to do that. Most of us don't even realize the urgency of the mission that we've been given. We just go about our days as if nothing's going on, but people every single day are dying without Jesus, and that is a life that is spent eternity in hell. There has to be urgency to the mission that God's given us. And and it's got to be hard to imagine what it would be like to be placed in the position that these guys were placed in. Uh, But most of us can understand why a crew of four young men were willing to risk their own lives and sail into a devastating storm when they learned that the crew of that oil tanker would have surely been lost if someone did not come to the rescue. They needed someone. And it's easy to see the urgency in the storm. And all of a sudden, the mission becomes more than just the ordinary task of their daily job. It gets transformed into this rescue mission. And like I've already said, something about a rescue makes us forget everything else, suspend all all thoughts that are reasonable, and believe that for the sake of a life or other lives, we can do the impossible. Has anybody ever been put in a situation where you had to rescue somebody from something? Okay. You don't care, especially if it's your kids, a family member, you don't care, you'll do whatever you can to save that person, to help them in their time of need. It doesn't, and you don't really think about, oh, this really doesn't make sense for me to do this. I just do it. That's how we have to be with the gospel of Jesus. We have to be willing and have that urgency that no matter what, I'm going to give the gospel of Jesus to people because I know how urgent it is for them to come to the Lord. I know what eternity awaits for those of us that are believers and those of us that are not. It's urgent. And that's what compels, you know, this urgency compels men to run back into burning buildings. The belief that the need outweighs the risk. There's a need in there, and I, I don't care what, a risk, what risks there are, I'm going to go. When it comes to our mission of reaching the lost, we need to realize that with the same sense of urgency. That there are people, it, we have to see it. There are people that are going to spend eternity in hell if we don't step in and share the gospel. That should rip us apart inside. That should grip us so strong that I don't want anybody to go there. Not even my worst enemy. I don't don't wish that upon anybody. It's so urgent. And yet, sometimes we don't take it so serious. The first thing that happened here in in this book, this true story, a need was recognized. And the first step to launching that heroic rescue attempt was that 
someone recognized the need, and that happened to be the airplane that was flying over. If it had never flown over and realized that Pendleton had been broken in half by the storm, then all the rescue efforts would have went towards the Mercer, and guess what would have happened to the crew of the Pendleton? Gone. They wouldn't have been saved. They wouldn't have been rescued. If the church is going to be mobilized into rescue mode, we are going to have to look beyond our limitations. I can't do it, Rick. I just can't talk to people. I just, I don't have the courage and boldness. We have to look beyond those things and realize it's urgent that people need the Lord. We are called to do this and we've got to get this glimpse of eternity. I guarantee you, if you could get a glimpse of somebody in your family or one of your friends or maybe somebody that you don't even like right now, if you could get a glimpse of them reaching up to you from hell and saying, why didn't you do something for me? If we will look at it like that, we will change our ways about giving excuses on why we can't share the gospel of Jesus. We've got to realize how serious the situation really is for people. I've stood at the grave of my son and my mom recently, so I know how quick life goes or can go for people. And I'm confident in, in knowing that my, my son and my mom are in heaven right now, their souls are in heaven, but I don't know that for everybody. So I have to still have that urgency about me that says, I'm going to talk, I'm going to share the gospel, I'm going to throw out a lifeline to you. It's Jesus. Because I don't want you to perish. He wishes that none would perish. But the vessels he uses are the believers of Jesus. The ones that are saved to go and give people the gospel of Jesus. If we're going to reach our world, then we've got to realize how quickly this life passes. And how long eternity lasts. This is, our life is just a vapor. We are just here for a little bit. Eternity is Forever. Forever. And with that in mind, we got to realize the desperate need of every lost soul to find salvation before it's too late for them. The, the thing that, that sent these young heroes out over the Chatham Bar and into the teeth of ferocious storm was the vision of those 33 men not being rescued. That's why they went. How many of you wake up in your day and as you go about your business and life, you have this vision of people you come in contact with Spending eternity in heaven or hell. Do we realize that? Do we understand that? Do we think about that throughout our day? I've told you this in the past. I've been a lot more intentional with my family members since Jackson passed away. Being pretty blunt about asking whether they know the Lord or not. You know why? Because I'm not worried about what, what they're going to think of me. Or, or are they going to be, a, you know, am I going to be ashamed of me saying something wrong or saying something not just right? I care about where they're going to spend eternity. And that trumps everything else. It trumps whether I say it right. It trumps whether they're going to be offended by what I say. I care about your eternal destination. We've got to get that glimpse of of eternity when we're talking to people. We're thinking about people. The lives hanging in the balance compelled them to risk theirs. The reality of eternity must grip us if we are going to rise to answer the call to evangelism. Evangelism, to go out and tell people and share the gospel. In in light of eternity and what we're talking about, heaven or hell, we can't afford to be quiet about things. I don't think I'd get many amens on that. We can't afford to be quiet about the gospel of Jesus. 
We can't afford to be politically correct and say it just right. We can't afford to play it safe and hope we don't offend anyone. It's better that they be offended and escape hell than that we make their, their journey to hell a comfortable one. An order was given on this night. And once they, the need was recognized, this order was given. And you know what? As, as believers, we have our orders. We have our orders. What do these guys do? When they're given the orders, they said, we'll go. He asked for volunteers, they said, we'll go. God asked for volunteers. We say sometimes, not me. You got the wrong person. We got our orders and they're recorded in the word of God. Go to Mark 16, 15. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. We have our orders. Here they are. It says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There it is. And in Matthew 10, 7, if you turn back, Matthew 10, 7. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Two verses right there. There's our orders. Our orders are to sail into the stormy seas of this life and reach out to a lost world. There are so many storms going in so many different people's lives and they don't even know what the answer is, but we do. We are to sail into their, their life, their storms that they're dealing with, and let them know about Jesus. Meet them right where they're at. Preaching the kingdom of heaven everywhere we go. And it's, not, it's just not a message to preachers. That's where sometimes people get it all wrong. This is an order for every single believer. Preach the kingdom. Reach the lost. In Jude, it says it this way. Jude 1, 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, pulling them from the fire. Pull them out. Otherwise, that's where they're going. Pull them out. Until we realize what we are doing, pulling them from the fire, until we realize how urgent this mission is, we're never going to be effective in reaching the lost. I've said this over and over again. Every week... This place should have people in here that don't know Jesus. Amen. If we are urgent about the mission of reaching the lost. Some of us care too much about our job to take time to talk to people about Jesus. We put our family ahead of God. It's not the right order. God first. His mission. Don't let other things occupy my cracking voice. <laughs> Don't let other things occupy the time that you need to be investing in people and pulling them out of the fire. We just had two last week pulled from the grasp of the enemy into God's presence and, and being saved. Here's what it looks like. And it's such a blessing to be able to pray with people and lead them to the Lord. 
and I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but there's probably people in here that have been believers for a long time if you've never led anybody to the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you that's a problem. And I'm not trying to be a jerk, but that is a problem when our mission is to go and preach the gospel of Jesus. To go and pull people from the fire. There's no expiration date on that either. Until my last dying day, until our last dying day, we want to win as many people over to the kingdom of heaven as we can. And, and again, you've got to get a glimpse, a glimpse of eternity. It's got to be a burden on you that, you know, no matter what, I know I'm not going to say things perfect, but I want to reach people for Jesus. I don't want anybody to perish. I want to take this life preserver. You know who this represents? Jesus. Jesus. And I want to take it and I want to throw it out there to people. We need to throw Jesus out there to people. To let them grab a hold. Ready, Jake? And you know what? When people are ready and you're in the storm of their life and you're witnessing to them, guess what's going to happen? Uh-uh, you don't get to let go of Jesus. <laughs> guess what? I just brought one in, pulled him from the fire, and he's saved now. Thank you. can't believe you're going to just roll that back to me. But that does happen. Here's what happens sometimes. Isaiah, don't catch it. We may throw it out and put it out there for people. And they may not take it. Don't let that stop you. You know how many times I had to throw this out to Aaron Landreth? And I'm not saying it to be mean or anything. It was probably three or four times before he grabbed a hold of what God had for his life. So you keep throwing it. You keep throwing it out there. You keep sharing the gospel of Jesus to people. Because you're pulling them from hell. Get that glimpse in your mind as I throw this out there, as I witness to people, as I share Jesus, I'm helping pull them out. By the power of the Holy Spirit in me and allowing me to speak, I'm pulling them from destruction and eternity in hell. I'm pulling them out with this life preserver called Jesus. I can chuck it to the balcony. I think I won't. Sherry, you ready up there? Keep throwing it out there. Go and preach and share the love of Jesus. You know, I, I think people get confused sometimes. If you're just a nice person to people and you love people, that's sharing the gospel. That is not sharing the gospel. That's being a kind person because of the love of Jesus put in you. But there has to be a moment as you're being nice to people, as you're opening the door for people, as you're picking up heavy things for people, as you're being kind to people, there has to be a moment where you present the gospel. Because no matter how nice you are, that doesn't give them an opportunity to go to heaven. It doesn't give them the opportunity to be saved. We've got a lot of nice people in here. But that's not witnessing. Give the opportunity for them to come to know the Lord. Build that relationship with somebody 
We met through his daughter playing basketball. And I built on that. I couldn't drop it on him right away. I could have threw this at him right away and hit him in the mouth with it or something. He wasn't ready. As much as you want, some people it does happen just like that. I want Jesus and it's easy. Sometimes you need to work and build a relationship and love on that person. And then when the time comes, throw it out there. Throw it out there. You know what? If he doesn't accept it the first time, throw it again. I'd rather do that and be persistent, not annoying, but persistent in in presenting the gospel and offering it to people than for me to just give up and then go to hell. I want to stay consistent and not give up. If If I'd have given up on Aaron the first time he told me, he wouldn't even probably be here today. But something in me, it's called the Holy Spirit, compels me to share the love of the Lord with people and to present the gospel to people. The same for you guys. And there are times, I'm guilty, where I don't do it like I should. You guys are the same way, if you want to admit it or not. But a crew responded. And the most important thing that happened on that stormy winter night is that when Bernie Weber stepped into that crew room and asked for volunteers, a group of men answered the call. When your pastor, when God asked for a group of volunteers to go out and pull people from the fire, then we should all respond. Count me in, Lord. I want to be on that team. I want to witness. I want to share your love. I want to preach the gospel. And I want to win people to you. Now, let's go back to that not qualified. These guys were not qualified. Yet they wanted to go. Because the burden, the glimpse of what those guys were going through and how they needed to be rescued was ingrained in them. The glimpse of eternity, of what people are going to have to deal with and what they're going to have to go through has to be ingrained in us. So we'll just say, well, go. They would form a crew that had never sailed together before. One member of that ragtag crew had never been to sea on a rescue mission, much less sailing into a violent storm. But they answered the call, not because they were the most qualified. Get that out of your head. I can't talk right or I can't, I don't know the Bible enough. Stop it, stop it, stop it with your excuses. Share the gospel of Jesus. If you don't know the gospel of Jesus and you're a believer, that is not good at all. Because as soon as you came to know him, you want to know him more. You want to learn about who he was, how he loved how he presented this to people. I've heard it my whole life. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Okay? They were available. Even though they weren't qualified, they were available. And they said, we'll go. That's how we need to be in the church. I'm not the most qualified, but I want to help people stay out of hell. God's not looking for the best. I can tell you that right now because I'm up here. He's looking for someone who is willing to sail their ship into the stormy seas of people's lives to rescue those who will be lost without the gospel message. That's what he's looking for. And my main purpose in doing this series is to compel you guys to answer the call to reach the lost. We are never going to grow as a church, and I'm not just talking about numbers, I'm talking about spiritually and individually as as believers. We're never going to grow if we don't reach the lost. We're going to still hide behind 
oh, I'm, I'm saved and I got my life figured out. I'm just going to hide behind that until Jesus comes back. Shame on us. Because so many more people still need to know the Lord. And you know some of them personally. I'm going to challenge you guys. This isn't a contest, but I'm going to challenge you to win somebody to the Lord over the next month. Myself included. Win someone to the Lord in this next month. Now, if I were to ask for hands, how many of you are going to accept my challenge? Who's going to answer the call? One of my new believers right here. Amen. One month. You just said you've got to build a relationship. You can build a relationship in a month. I've seen some of you guys fall head over heels for people in one month. Teenagers. It can happen, I guess. But Personally, bring someone to Christ within this next month. And don't tell them, hey, we're having a contest at church. My pastor, I raised my hand. Will you please just be saved? It's not what I'm looking for. I'm wanting the burden and the compassion inside of you and the glimpse of eternity to motivate you to reach somebody. You know what? After you lead someone, it's not so intimidating after that. It gets a little bit easier and you flow how God wants you to flow. The praise team will come back up. Matthew 4, 19 Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say follow me because you are fishers of men. He said I will make you fishers of men. He will qualify you. He will put whatever you need inside of you. He will help you through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you to say the right things to people if you'll allow him to lead and guide you in that. I will make you. I will equip you if you will just answer the call. He told Moses, don't worry about what you're going to say. When the time comes, I'm going to put the words in your mouth. Do you rely on God in that kind of way? Lord, I'm getting ready to go talk to somebody. Put the words in my mouth. Holy Spirit, work through me right now. Don't try to do it in your own capacity. Let the Lord help you. He wants to. He wants to. And all too often we focus on our inabilities and we miss the fact that the heroes in the storm are very rarely the most qualified to do it. Instead, they're just simply those who are willing to go. I'm willing. I'm willing, Rick. I'm, I'm willing to go out there and share the gospel with people. I know where I was. I know what I was going through. And I know how the love of Jesus changed me. So, in, in fact, I, I, I just have to let people know about him. Because he's done so much in me. So my first question in this series is, will you answer the call? Will you be a part of the rescue team? Will you answer the call to go and preach the gospel and win somebody to the Lord over this next month? If you stand this morning, there's a call going out from heaven for volunteers to, again, sail into the messy storms and the seas of life for people to reach the lost, to pull them from the fire before it's too late for... How many people 
This is a little personal, but how many of you have lost some friends and family members that didn't know the Lord? That should break and crush your heart and motivate you to not let it happen again. I know you can't force people to take it. I know people make their own decisions, but if they never had the opportunity, how are they ever going to know? You bow your heads this morning. Father, we just thank you. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for sending people into our lives that cared enough about our eternity to share the message of Jesus. That you so loved each and every one of us that you sent your son to die on the cross for us, to forgive us of our sins. And as he rose from the grave and defeated death, we have the opportunity now to have relationship with Jesus and to have eternity secured in heaven with you. And God, I just ask right now for people in this body of believers of Orchardville Church, whether they watch online or they're here in person, to answer the call to go. Not worry about if we're qualified, but just supply, Father, everything we need through your Holy Spirit in us to give us the words to say, to give us the love to share, to give us the compassion that's needed to reach people for you. And Lord, when that opportunity comes, Lord, I pray for hearts right now that haven't even met the people of Orchardville Church. They haven't even talked to them about the gospel. I pray for their hearts right now to be softened and ready to receive what these people are gonna plant into them. Lord, we're gonna open up our altars for your Holy Spirit to move do things in our life, Father, to give us courage and boldness in this call that we're responding to. Father, let us fully, as we come to these altars, rely on you to help us win people to you. Father, is there anybody in here that doesn't know you this morning? I pray they come. I pray they come and believe on the name of Jesus and be changed. People have healing, they need healing in their body. Father, I pray they come this morning and respond to your Holy Spirit and what you want to do in this place for someone. We praise you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship and pray and respond to the Lord. Will you answer the call? Will you answer the call this morning?
rescue team, Orchardville Church rescue team. Again, I'm going to ask just by raising your hand, will you answer the call that the Lord has given us to reach people for Jesus? Will you answer the call? Throw them up real quick. Look around. Hold each other accountable. And again, we're not doing this to say, hey, I, I did it. We're doing this because people need the Lord. And it's our responsibility to go out and reach people for Jesus. So within this month of the series, lead someone to the Lord. If it happens, let me know. Does it have to happen here? No. It can happen on your job site. It can happen in Walmart. Wherever you're at, lead people to Jesus. Throw it out there. I just got to thinking, that was really stupid of me to throw that. I've never thrown one of those. And I didn't throw it very far, but I could have took my wife out. <laughs> Hannah, he, you know, I don't know if Jake was going to catch it. He told me that he's not really athletic, so I don't <laughs> He's not. But I appreciate you guys. And if you threw your hand up, get a glimpse of eternity. Every day you wake up, get that glimpse. I don't want my friends. I don't want my family members. I don't want people I know to go to hell. I want them to know the Lord. I want them to know the Lord. Just like Morgan and Tyler experienced last week. If you hadn't said hi to them, wave your hand over there, guys. Right over there. Introduce yourself to them, love on them. Some new members of our church family, the Lord's family. Uh, again, you answered the call. We're going to talk about this over the next few weeks. Let's win people to Jesus. Let's do what we're supposed to be doing. I'm out of breath. All right, love you guys. Have a great week. We're here Wednesday night. You're not dismissed. You are sent.